two passages this morning, John chapter 13 and then Ephesians 3. If you use an electronic Bible, you are out of luck on this one, but um, we'll need both references, John 3 and Ephesians 3. And if you read the email, you'll know that I'm not preaching from Romans this week. I knew in my schedule, as we would not get back till late Wednesday night, uh, and uh, Thursday I, I knew I would be maybe partially useful in, in that and what I was going to do, but not much useful. I knew my time was li- limited, and so I thought and prayed about a passage that I could preach from that I was very familiar with and have taught from this a number of times. And it's John 13, verse 1, particularly, as what we'll look at, and really parking on one phrase out of that passage. Let's just read verse 1. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's just pause and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, now we confess at this church that this verse and all the verses we'll look at today that come from this book are your words. And they are true and infallible and inerrant and authoritative and powerful words. And I pray that we would receive them as such. And we also confess at this church that in order for us to benefit from these words at all, we need your spirit in us, shining light on these words, And giving us spiritual understanding and wisdom and guidance and teaching us and encouraging us with them. So I pray that he would do that for each one here this morning and that he would gift me to teach and preach so that I can explain these things in a way that everybody can see them clearly from the passage, but but also be helpful and encouraging. Not for my sake, but for the sake of your people and for the sake of your name. So I ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. This is a message about the love that Jesus has for his people, his own in this world. It is a sermon about the love Jesus has for his own people in this world. That would include those men in that upper room. And it would include every 
true believer in Jesus from that time even until now. It applied to them and to us. He loves his own and he loves them to the end. So for any of our young people or children in the room, if you are in here listening and you decide to zone out from this point on, you will be able to explain to your parents later if they ask you what the sermon was about, if you just say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. (laughs) They will be very impressed with your listening to the pastor. There is perhaps no more important need in the Christian heart than to know and be convinced of Jesus' love for his people. That is for a Christian person to fully understand and be convinced that Jesus has for that person a unbreakable, perfect, Complete, persistent love cannot be shaken, cannot be changed. There is nothing more important for us to begin with in the Christian faith than to understand that we are loved by Jesus in such a way and to such a degree that our actions can neither earn more love nor lessen the love that we have. To truly know that his love for us is grace-based and that we are fully engulfed and encompassed in this love that he has for all of those in this room who are looking to him in faith and know him in faith. Jesus loves you. I can say that on the authority of the Bible. Your love, Christian, for Jesus may go up and down. You may at times, and you do, I'm sure, feel such love for him that when you're thinking about him, your heart is burning within you with this love. And then there are other times you wake up and you feel virtually no affection for him. But friends, understand this, that his love for you is full and complete and perfect no matter how you're feeling. And isn't that the kind of love we really crave from the Lord Jesus? That is truly a perfect love. I told you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Let me just bring this passage out for you. Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 19. I want to show you why this is so important to understand before we park on that phrase in John 13 and then I'll probably return to this passage in Ephesians at the end. So Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's praying. He's going to explain to them now what he prays for them. For the Ephesian church. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory. 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, because if the spirit does that, uh, does this, he strengthens you in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, that is God's saving love for you. Now catch this. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not just some of them, but all of the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Well, of what? Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, Christ's love for you, that you would know the breadth and length and height and depth of this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, Paul knows that if the Spirit would give us the ability in our inner man, in our hearts, to comprehend the love that Jesus has for us, Like we're engulfed in it, right? The, the breadth and length and height and depth. Like nowhere that we could go or be that we're not in it. That if we could just, with the Spirit's help, have some comprehension of this, we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That is why I'm saying this is the key. This is our greatest need to understand Jesus' love for us so that we can live filled with the fullness of God in our lives. Understanding this truth of his love for us as his own will transform the way we live. Our relationship with him, our relationship with one another, our relationship to a lost world. To be secure in this love. To start there. Just like John will go on to say in 1 John. We love him because he first loved us. That's how this works you see. So with that importance of the love of Jesus. Knowing that in our minds. Look now at chapter 13 and verse 1 again. John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. Is one section of the Gospel of John, and it records for us that most famous occasion of the, of the Last Supper, as we call it, that upper room time that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. When teaching on this text, I always feel the need to emphasize the sobriety of the setting. It was a very serious and sobering occasion. Jesus was fully aware of the fact, as John put it here, before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So going into this upper room, Jesus knew that his hour to depart the world had come. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He's not going to be supernaturally translated out of this world like Elijah in a whirlwind. The way out of this world for Jesus was 
through the suffering and death of the cross. As a matter of fact, in Luke's account, in Luke twenty-two fifteen, Jesus gathers them together in this upper room and he says, I have, desired, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. His hour, a phrase used throughout John's gospel, was a clear reference to the cross and the hour of his suffering for our sins. Just prior to the upper room scene in John chapter 12, Jesus knew the hour was quickly approaching. John 12, 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Friends, never forget the fact when you're reading the gospel accounts that Jesus was truly, fully human being. That the prospect, the knowledge of the suffering he was about to endure troubled his soul. It wasn't as though his perfection as a human being eliminated a troubled soul that knew about what was about to happen to him. He knew his hour had come to suffer. And yet what does he do? What does he choose to do in his final hours on earth before he suffers? He demonstrates, and here's the first aspect of his love for his own in this world. He demonstrates a prioritizing love for his disciples. Their encouragement, their well-being, their peace, their joy, their instruction became his priority. Hours before he knows he's going to the cross. In chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Listen, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How incredible is that? He's about to suffer, and what does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. He turns his attention to them. He knows they're upset and confused and fearful. And so he is doing all he can with his words and his presence in this prioritizing love, friends, to encourage them in this time. That's the love of Jesus, the prioritizing love of Jesus for his disciples. And of course, after this upper room scene, as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then is betrayed over and taken prisoner and goes through all of the suffering and all of the cross. He demonstrates that prioritizing love, love for all of his disciples, including you and me, as he suffers on the cross for our sins. True love is always prioritizing. It makes the good of the other the priority. True love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, does not seek its own. It is not self-seeking. It is others directed. And Jesus, well, he personifies this kind of prioritizing love. 
That is the love Jesus has for us. Did you know that even in this world now, with everything that the Lord Jesus Christ is governing over in his providence, all that he's doing, all that he's moving over in his sovereignty, everything he's caring for, which is everything there is, his people, his own, are his priority. Matter of fact, he's working all things together with his sovereignty for our eternal good. That's a prioritizing love. Do you know when you go to the Lord Jesus for help, you're not pestering him? I'm not trying to inflate us or make us proud, but to encourage us in the fact that his people, his body, his church is his priority in love in this world. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He also demonstrated, here's the second aspect of the love of Jesus, friends, that you need to know. It's a persistent love. It's a persistent love. Do you notice how he puts this? Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. This is a persistent love. He persistently loved his disciples the entire time he was with them. As John reflected back decades later on his time with Jesus, one of the aspects of his time with Jesus that stood out is, I was one of his own, the rest of these men were his own in this world, and he loved us, and he kept on loving us, and he loved us all the way to the end. His love, what John wants you to know about his love for his own, is that it's persistent. Throughout the whole time, as he ministered with and among them, through all of their shenanigans, all their slowness to discern his teaching, all their misunderstandings, all of their sins and failures and shortcomings, even armed with the knowledge that Peter would deny him, that the rest would abandon him in his greatest hour of need, Jesus loved them all the way through. It was persistent. You know, the Old Testament speaks to this kind of love that God has for his people, his own. And it's all through the Old Testament. It is the Hebrew word hesed, which is most commonly translated steadfast love. Think of that. What kind of love? Steadfast love. It's described as loyal, covenant, faithful, dependable love that God has for his own. His own people who are often, friends, disloyal, covenant-breaking, and unfaithful people. Yet, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever for his own. 
Psalm 136 is an entire psalm written about this said. It begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love, and we can include here, for his own, endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love for his own endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love for his own endures forever. And friends, Jesus, of course, was God incarnate. God in the flesh. So it should not surprise us in the least that what we find doing with his own is loving them persistently with this steadfast kind of love, you see. That is the love that Jesus has for us. You know, we are aware, are we not aware of our complete inability and incapability of persistently loving Jesus. How often, even as we read earlier in our confession, do we disobey? Do we do what we should not have done or not do what we should have done? How often we neglect our duties or fail to speak of Him as we ought. Fail to pray to him as we should. Or to worship him with the zeal and passion and spirit and truth that he is worthy of and deserves. And yet, did you know that through all those times when we do not love him as we should, he persistently loves us. To the same degrees always held. That is amazing love, whether you recognize it or not. That is incomprehensible love. No wonder, doesn't Paul say in Ephesians 3? This is a love, I want you to know the love that's unknowable, that surpasses understanding. You can't grasp this kind of love, this degree of love, this level of love for you. But that is the love that Jesus has for us. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. It's interesting to me that these men in that upper room professed to Jesus this undying loyal love, didn't they? And Peter, the most bold, said, all the rest of them, Jesus, Jesus said, they're all, y'all going to abandon me. Jesus said, no, even if all these others abandon you, I will never abandon you. You know what happens? Just couple hours later in the garden when Jesus says to Peter and James and John he says my soul is exceedingly troubled even unto death he was beginning to experience the wrath of God for sin my soul is exceedingly troubled even unto death just stay awake And pray with me. I mean, certainly these men that had expressed such loyal and steadfast love to Jesus could grant him this one simple request, right? Stay awake and pray with me. Jesus found them not once or twice, but three times had fallen asleep. Could you not even watch with me one hour? 
Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Peter, the one expressing the most love for Jesus, denies him three times in the moment of his suffering. And friends, don't you see yourself in the disciples? You're supposed to. This is who we are. So friends, aren't you so grateful for the persistent love of Jesus for you? Do you know that as Peter was denying Jesus, Jesus was loving him persistently all the way through. It's my favorite song, When I Fear My Faith Will Fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Friends, Jesus loves you with a steadfast, faithful, loyal, covenant, persistent love. But the love of Jesus for us is also a particular love. You'll notice how the text puts it again in John 13, 1. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. I'm going to say something to you now that I hope does not come too much as a shock. It depends on what you've been taught about this or how much thought you've given to it in the past. But Jesus has a particular love for his own in the world that he does not have for those who are not his own in the world. That if you are one of his own in this world, he has a love for you that is particular. Now, Jesus, of course, we know was the perfect human being. As a perfect human being, he would have been a loving person. Loved his neighbor as himself. As a matter of fact, went about through his life doing good to everyone he encountered that asked him to do good for them. Always helping and healing. And yet the, ma- the vast majority of those he healed and helped were not his own. Didn't even end up becoming his own. So he displayed a very God-like, general, benevolent love for people. But there is a distinction in the love, as John puts it here, that he has for his own in the world. It's that his said love, that loyal, covenant, saving, redeeming love reserved for his own in the world. It is a love that acted in a saving way on their behalf. 
Paul speaks of it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says this, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And perhaps this particular love of Jesus for us, his own, his people, is best explained in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. When he is giving instructions to husbands and wives. Do you remember this? And Paul says to the husbands now, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, as a Christian, I'm commanded to love your wife. That sounds weird, isn't it? But it's true, right? My sister in Christ, my fellow human being made in the image of God. But I have a unique love that is reserved for my wife that I don't have for your wife. Jesus loved his church And he gave himself up for her. He loved his own who were in the world in a particular and saving way. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God tells us this is because what Jesus is going to go on in those passages to do is to tell you how the world is going to hate you. You're in the world but you're not of the world. You're in the world, but the world's gonna hate you. But know this, while the world is hating you, while the world is rejecting you, Jesus, friends, loves you. It's supposed to be this kind of particular love for his own who are in the world. It's supposed to be so encouraging to know despite the way the world treats us that the Lord Jesus Christ loves us particularly. So Jesus' love for you, friends, is prioritizing, it's persistent, it's particular, and it is personal, isn't it? It's a personal love. That is, Jesus loves you Christian person, individual Christian person. He loves you. You, personally. He loves each one of his own. He knows each one of his own. You are not merely a number to Jesus. Or a faceless, personless entity to him. You are one of his own. He's already been talking about this back in John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. I know them and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. That's how certain it is. That's how deep and intimate the knowledge is. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You are known and loved by Jesus, friends. You know, this world can be a lonely place. And some people struggle with this loneliness more than others. If you're the type of person that can be lonely in a crowd and feel alone, friends, be encouraged in knowing that Jesus knows and loves you personally. 
that even though to the world you're a, you may be a nobody, where most of us are nobodies to the world, they don't care about us. They don't care about you individually. We've never done anything that they would find remarkable or worthy of their love and adoration. But that is not the case with Jesus. He loves them all, and he loves them personally. This is why Paul prayed earlier in Ephesians 3 that that we'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints, every single one of them, all of us loved personally by Jesus. And related to this one, Jesus' love for us is possessive. He says, having loved, listen, his own having loved his own who were in the world, we belong to him. He loves the ones that belong to him. The word own or his own is a word of possession, something that belongs to someone or something. Jesus loves us, friends, because we belong to him. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel throughout, we are reminded that we were given to Jesus by his Father. He says back in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John chapter 17, he'll begin praying. He'll say, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. John 17, 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. We were given to the Son by the Father, and therefore we are very precious to Him. We belong to Him, and those that belong to Him, He loves. Having loved His own in the world, He loved them to the end, you see. If you belong to Jesus... Know this, he loves you. So the love of Jesus for his people is a prioritizing love. It's a persistent love. It's a particular love. It's a possessive love. And one more, the love of Jesus for his people is a perfect love. It's a perfect love, and I would be amiss if I did not bring this out. In that phrase, he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's an interesting phrase in the underlying Greek text because when translators come to it, they can approach it from two primary ways. First of all, it can be like much of what I've already said. One of my first points is that he loves them to the end in the, in the sense of time. He, he loves them all the way through to the end. And we would say, that's true. But there's a, another nuanced way in which you could approach it. 
And it would be something like this. He loved them completely. Or he loved them to the fullest extent. Or he loved them, even this, perfectly. And I would say you don't have to choose between the two. Because I don't think John would want you to choose between the two. Because what John is saying is that he loved them to the end. He loved them all the way through. And he did so to the fullest extent possible. In other words, you have all the love from Jesus that there is to have. You see, there's no more love. It is a complete love and a perfect love. There's no more love that needs to be added to it. You know, it's interesting. It's that Christians are commanded in the Bible to grow in love. You ever notice that? Grow in love for God. Grow in love for one another. But did you know it is not possible for Jesus to grow at all in love with his people? The love he has for you is to the fullest extent. That's why I'm calling it perfect, perfect love. That as we began is not, as we began this message, it's, it's not contingent on you. And there's nothing you've done today to lessen his love that you need to now earn back of his love or to get back into the fullness of his love. It's just a perfect love all the way through at all times for his people. Jesus loves us. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Friends, I hope you understand this morning. I hope that the Spirit has given you the ability in your inner person to comprehend to some degree the incomprehensible love of Jesus for you so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the knowledge of the love of Jesus. His perfect, unmeasured, boundless love that is encompassing each one of his own right now. Let this knowledge of this love cause us to love him more deeply, truly, persistently. I ask this in his name. Amen.